Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Morning. We've had a little break from our One John series. Um, it's five weeks since we had the last bit. Um, but we're back to it. So 1 John is a letter written by John, and this is his letter to a church. This is not him trying to convince people to believe in Jesus. That was a a letter he wrote that was called The Gospel of John. This one is to a church of believers. So assume these are people already in in the church, already believing in in Jesus, already with faith. So it might color slightly how you read it, but... um, Let's read the passage together. We're in 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11. I'm reading this way. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, as the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, And to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I am pretty sure that John has in mind a a bit of the Old Testament right at the front of his mind as he's writing this. We see quite a few references throughout the letter of 1 John and throughout the Gospel of 1 John that gives us a couple of clues. Um, So, Susie, if you could put up the first one. This is how the letter of 1 John begins. That which was from the beginning. Next one. Jesus says, um, oh, this is John still. This is not a new command, but an old one, which you have had from the beginning. And one more, this is from the Gospel of John. In the beginning, and then a few verses later, the light shines in the darkness. Can anyone guess what story John might have in his mind as he's writing this? Nice and loud. Genesis, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to need a bit more participation than that going forwards, just to warn you. (laughs) Uh, So, Genesis. Um, I'm going to do a bit of storytelling, and I actually do need some help. So Genesis um, starts off with God creating the world, as we know. And he says to Adam, you need to rule over the animals. And then 
just don't do one this, this one thing. Just, just don't eat this fruit. And of course, we know the how the story goes. He eats the fruit. So does Eve. And, um, and as God outlines the consequences of their sin, he says, so many things are broken, but, but this, is, this is the promise. From the serpent, there will be a seed, a line of the serpent. From the woman, there will be a line descendants from the woman. And eventually, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, or even the serpent himself. But the seed of the serpent will crush the heel, uh, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. It's not a serpent, but... <laughs> we have these two categories then. And, and going forwards, we find that each, each person that we meet in the Bible belongs to one of these two categories of people, either the woman or the serpent. And the very next story is about two brothers called Cain and Abel. And this is where I'm going to need some people. So is anyone able to help me? tell a story. You don't have to do anything, really. You just have to come and stand with me. I'm going to put some props on you. <laughs> yeah? Come on, Jasper. I need about five people. It'd be good to have a mix of ages. Any other volunteers? Because I'll just start picking people. Yes, Trevor. Yes, Jaden. Great. Thank you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, so we've got Cain and Abel, and Cain is, they're both the seed of the woman, right? Can you be Cain? Can you come and stand here with the woman? And Abel, yeah. And they're both the seed of the woman, they're both descended from Eve. It's great, all good so far. And then as um, temptation creeps in, God describes it to Cain like this, Cain... God says to Cain, uh, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. And you have to rule over him, or else it will rule over you. And so, sin is described as this animal who is crouching at the door of Cain's heart. You're Cain. So he's about to get you. And if you give in to sin, this animal is going to rule over you where you were called to rule over it. And what does Cain do? He gives in. He murders his brother. <laughs> and he... <laughs> and he becomes an animal. <laughs> and now you're on this side. You're the seed of the serpent. So can you repeat after me? The seed of the woman is meant to rule over the animals. The seed of the serpent becomes an animal. And we see characters described like this all the way through the Old Testament. If you think of the character of Noah, did he rule over animals or did he become an animal? No, I ruled over the animals. If we think about the visions of Daniel and all of the kings that were 
causing chaos across the whole world and ruling with tyranny. Were they pictured as ruling over animals or were they pictured as animals? Pictures of animals. Good. Some people know the Old Testament. And in the Psalms, um, I think Psalm 22, um, David describes all his enemies as bulls and as lions and all these animals out to get him. So it's, it becomes this picture of, of the animal, of the beast, as either ruling over the animals is the seed of the woman, and if you become an animal, you're the seed of the serpent. Thanks very much. You can take those off. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Ian. You can go sit there. Thank you. You can go and sit down, that's fine. I need you three stay there. Um, so then, a little bit later in Genesis, we have these, these other two brothers. They're called Jacob and Esau. And they're described as they, from the moment they're born, Jacob is described with this smooth skin, and Esau has this really hairy skin. <laughs> can you fit in that? If you can just, just stick your arms in it if you want. There you go. <laughs> okay. So we have Jacob and Esau. Who do we think is going to be the seed of the serpent in this story? Yeah, the hairy one. He's pictured as an animal. So Jasper over this side. And you're Jacob. You can be on this side. And um, what we see, sure enough, um, Adam's actually told us this story during the One John series so far, that um, Esau sells his birthright, sells the blessing of God to his brother for a bowl of soup. wasn't much, was it? No. And it says God saw how Esau despised his birthright. And so, great, we've got a bad guy, we've got a good guy. But then what does Jacob do? What is his lowest moment in his life? What is his biggest sin that he ever commits? His father was blind. Yeah. And just when he was expecting, you stick your arm through there, or your head. There you go, do that. Just when. He was going to bless his sons. He goes to his father. And he can't see. So he just feels and says, oh, I know which son this is. (laughs) The father thinks it's Esau. But of course, it's Jacob who's dressed himself up like an animal, becoming the trickster that um, he wasn't supposed to be. And so he finds himself living out the life on the seat of the serpent. Okay. Now, it kind of, it's good news for us in a way because you can keep that off, that's fine. In fact, you can sit down, you're done. Because, because, What we're born into doesn't actually determine whether we're the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent. We have choice in it through our actions, whether we're going to be um, the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman, whichever way around they are. Um, But um, there is redemption for Jacob, because later in life, there's this this really weird story where 
he's been working for his uncle Laban for years and years and years, and he finally decides it's time to go home. But God has blessed Jacob with these huge, huge flocks that he's been taking care of for his uncle Laban. So he's got a sheep. He's been looking after all these sheep. And he says to Laban, I think it's time we, we part ways. We need to divide up the flock. And his la uncle Laban says, um, sure, yeah, let's divide up the sheep. I'll take all the um, speckled ones, and you take all the plain ones. How does that sound? And Jacob says, yes, that's fine. At which point Laban immediately removes all of the speckled ones from the flock, gives them to his sons to look after, and Jacob's left with only the plain ones, which he's now raising for Laban, because Laban's going to keep the one, those ones. I may be getting confused by which way around it is, but you, you get Laban's trying to trick him. And Jacob's response is not, um, this is so unfair, I'm going to trick my way back into it, as has been his characteristic throughout the whole story of Jacob. He keeps tricking people, tricking people. He, he trusts at this point. I don't know if he fully trusts, because he does, he does try this one thing. Now, um, he gets these sticks, and this is, this is the extent of my um, level of craft. He, he peels some of the sticks so they become speckled sticks. Can you hold these for me, Jasper? And Jacob sets up these speckled sticks, and he puts the sheep in front of the speckled sticks when they are feeding, and somehow... The next generation of sheep that come out all come out speckled so that they belong to Jacob. I don't know much about biology and about farming, but I'm pretty sure that the sticks had nothing to do with how those sheep were coming out. <laughs> I think that God saw Jacob had become faithful to God. He put his trust in God. The sticks are a bit weird, but he he'd finally put his trust in God, and he had made himself again... The seed of the woman. Jaden, you're back over here. Because the seed of the woman rules over the animals. He is now controlling how they are born. That is, that is pretty ruling. And, and he trusts in God. The seed of the serpent becomes an animal and trusts in himself. Thanks very much, guys. You can take off your things. Turn down there. It's a weird story, but when you sort of see it in this, oh, he becomes a ruler over the animals, it, it makes a lot more sense. So we go back, to, um, go back to our passage. I'm going to rewind a few verses from where I started earlier, see if we could put up the passage in 1 John, um, because this bit is now really relevant. So, so you might start asking a couple of questions, like, how do I know whether I'm the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman? You might say, how do I, how do I get to be the seed? the seed of the woman and not the seed of the serpent. Um, and I think this passage has, has some answers. So, going back a couple of verses earlier. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful, over there, uh, is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God, on this side, will continue to sin 
because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. A born of God becomes another way of saying seed of the woman. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. So we're reading it again. But now if you read it in the light of the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman, I think it reads a bit different. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world, this is now another way of saying seed of the serpent, the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, just like Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth. Belong to the truth. And, uh, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, then we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us, by the spirit he gave us. So all of these images now, those who live in truth, those who love one another, those who are born of God, those who have his spirit, all of those things kind of relate to the seed of the woman character. Those in darkness, those in death, those who hate their brother and sister belong to the seed of the serpent. Uh, this really matches up with what Jesus taught himself. In Matthew we read that Jesus says to his disciples, whenever you fed or clothed someone in prison, you fed me. Whenever you loved anyone else, you were loving me. Jesus' greatest commandment, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love God and to love your neighbor. How do we love God? By obeying his commands. What are God's commands? To love God and to love one another. It's a circular argument, but if you're loving one another, that seems to be kind of the key to it all. When Jesus says, you brood of vipers to the Pharisees and the scribes, he's saying, you're the seed of the serpent. And what is at stake? He's saying this to a group of believers, remember. These are all people in the church. And he's saying, some of you are the seed of the woman. Some of you are the seed of the serpent. This is high stakes there's a lot to risk here if you are not loving your brother and your sister you're over this side we need to examine ourselves and make sure that we are who we think we are it's not just your personal salvation though 
it's, it's the whole world that's at stake, really, because um, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving one another is not just the way to make sure that you are in the right camp. It's also the way to invite the rest of the world into being in the right camp as well. Right from the beginning in Genesis, God blessed Abraham so that he could bless the world. It's the same. God loves us so that we can love one another and love the world. If this is then... For the sake of the whole world, loving one another doesn't just mean doing things for one another. It's kind of a step before and a step after as well. If nobody knows what your needs are, how can anyone meet your needs? So the step before being able to love one another is to be vulnerable and say, actually, I'm struggling, I need help. Or it might just be, even if you're not struggling, you're okay. You can just say, this is, this is what I need right now. I need, I need to be loved in this way. If you have a need, speak up in the church. Because even if people want to love, if they don't know how to love you, they can't. And the step after then is when someone has loved you, again, speak up. Especially outside the church. There are so many times when the church has loved us as a family. And when we've talked to our non-Christian friends about it, they've gone, really? They did that for you? Like, you didn't pay for anything, you didn't, and, and that is such a powerful witness. So speak up about your needs, speak up afterwards, um, and it encourages one another as well. Uh, just to get practical, some of the ways that we can uh, love one another, I think we might be onto the last slide, Susie, I don't know if I've missed something. I wish I had three points, but I had to stick a fourth one on the end. We can welcome one another. There should be no lonely people in church. That doesn't mean you have to go out and collect all the lonely people that you see and from all to be your friends. You only need to make friends with one person. So welcome one another is really important. And it goes beyond being the welcome team on the door. To be real friends to one another takes a, a long-term commitment. Challenge one another. It's really how we grow. Um, let's not pretend that if we all avoid conflict and pretend like everything's okay, that that's the best way to love one another. Um, at times, if we challenge one another and we get it wrong, <laughs> that leads me on to the next point. We may need to forgive one another. If you're holding a grudge against someone in this church, it's like... God has loved us, that is the light to the world, and then you've put a bowl on the top of that light. If you are holding a grudge against someone in this church, you don't have to be friends, best friends with everyone in the church, but if you cannot celebrate one another's victories, if you can't be in the same life group as someone, then I would really urge you to go and do something about that today. And finally... Be generous. It is um, one of the most powerful ways, I think, is, is just meeting really practical needs. It's something that the, the world outside, it sees, it recognizes, it can see the value of straight away. 
in the church in Acts, we see that everyone had everything in common. I think that's not immediately practical for us to do that in, in this society. It's not always easy to see when people are in need. So we can give financially, but you don't always know who to give financially to. It's quite hard. Um, one of the things we've discussed doing and we think we are going to do in, the, in this church is to set up a, a hardship fund for um, particularly this year. It's become more necessary than ever. So if you feel able to give financially, if you have money at your disposal, then you can give into that fund. If you find yourself in need of some money during this cost of living crisis, then make yourself known to someone on the eldership team because um, we'd love to be able to support practically people who are going through financial hardship. Um, there's money coming in September from the government. And if you're in a position where you're saying, actually, yeah, money is tight, but we're getting by through, we're getting through okay, and the, the government is about to give you this money, you might be able to say, well, some or all of that I could put straight into that fund at church, and we can distribute that out to people who, who need it more, more than others. So while we're not sharing everything in common, like Acts, we can take, um, take some principles from that and say, I don't need this money that is coming. Let it go to someone who is more needy than me. So uh, be praying on that over the summer to see if that might be something that you could do. Another really practical way this church loves one another is the meal rotors, and you've heard about it. I'm so glad that the Dales are up here. Perfect timing. They've been blessed by it. We've been blessed by it as a family. I'm sure lots of other families in this church have been. It's something that we do. It's, it's just a structure that's in place to make it really easy to love one another. The structure itself doesn't love one another, but it's, it's people signing up and doing it. And so um, I encourage you to sign up for those whenever they come because... It means you don't have to organize anything. Someone else has done all the organization. You can just, you can just love. Um, and don't wait for a meal rotor to come up. If you see someone in need, take them a meal. We've seen people who have just permanently kept a meal in their freezer, just ready to go for, for anyone that's in need at any time. So if you want to stretch yourself in that area, um, that's the way you can do it. If you don't have access to spare money, you don't have... The, the means to cook a meal, you can give time. There are so many people that serve this church with their time on the teams that we have or in other ways. So I'd encourage you, another way to love one, love one another in this church is just to sign up for one of the serving teams as well. And then don't forget to talk about it. Get loud. That's all I have to say. Um, just love one another. <laughs> uh, it's, it's important to stress that um, loving one another isn't how we earn our place in this church. It's not how we earn our salvation. It's not the way that we um, prove that we're Christian or anything. Um, there's really like a two-step Christianity is that we trust God, we accept Jesus, we believe in him, and then from that flows loving one another. It's the fruit that comes from, from our salvation and from our relationship with Jesus. So... Um, don't hear that you need to earn your place in this church, please. Um, but we are going to move into a time of communion. So um, there's tables here, and there's one down this side, and this one's the gluten-free table. Um, and I'd really love you to get together with someone 
maybe that you don't know would be, would be ideal. And in groups, just to um, have a think on this, I'd love you to pray for one another. I'd love you to come up with a very specific strategy of how you can grow in love for one another in this church. Um, you can challenge one another by asking them, what is your strategy? Don't let anyone get away with not coming up with something. Equally, if you are someone who already does loads and you've planned out your next strategy for how you're going to love the church more, you can um, just tell people that and celebrate it. You don't have to. I'm not saying you have to do more. You have to do more. But um, generosity is something that we grow in as a lifelong journey. So um, it's good to have in mind where you're going next to grow in that. If you... Um, I'll say it again. If there's anyone in this church who you don't feel like you've forgiven or you need forgiveness from, I'd really encourage you to deal with that today as well. Don't wait for that one. So, Susie's going to put some music on for us. Uh, come forward to the